Welcome to Success Beneath the Surface, hosted by Deborah Fell, Managing Partner at Chief Outsiders. Deborah provides insights specifically for CEOs from growth-oriented companies. Deborah's guest today is Barry Trailer. Barry is co-founder of Sales Mastery LLC, a sales research and advisory services firm started in 2018. Hi, Barry. It's so great to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining me. Well, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. The more I, I looked into your background, and it really reinforced uh, why I thought this would be a great conversation, because you have really a lifetime of sales mastery in various versions of your own companies, of other companies, and it looks like finally you decided to lay claim to it and name your company Sales Mastery. So share with us, uh, if, if you would, you know, what's your story? How did you get from where you started to where you are today in this? The story ended when I got out of college. All my jobs through, you know, high school and college were sales jobs. And then I graduated in engineering and made the mistake of going into engineering. Ah. <laughs> so I did that for, I did that for five or six years. I, worked in underground construction and worked in yeah. municipality, got registered as a civil engineer and decided I, what I really wanted to do was sell and uh, went into the private sector selling engineering services. Yeah. And from there decided I just wanted to go purely into sales that I wanted straight commission, you know, all of that. And that you wanted straight commission. You are, yeah. you've got to be whatever some very tiny subset of the 1%. <laughs> is uh, in terms of, of people in that position. I, I think that's amazing, but don't forget your train of thought here, but I got to ask you, why did you go into engineering? Was that like a family business expectation or were, what was the I, reason there? I thought my dad wanted me to go into engineering and, and he, claimed after, he claimed years later, he never wanted that, but I don't think that was true. <laughs> he uh, he worked for a utility and, and always... Okay looked up to engineers. And uh, I think the proudest day in his life was when I got registered. So, um, uh, Well, certainly a, a worthy calling, but so is sales. Yeah. Yeah. In my view, yes, sales is terrific. And I, I went to work for uh, a mortgage broker because he was a self-improvement nut. When I left engineering, I looked at commercial real estate, computers, finance, and um, headhunting. And I went to work for this one guy because he really was a self-improvement nut. And if you've ever heard of Jim Rohn, uh, he was a big fan of Jim Rohn, who was uh, Tony Robbins' mentor. And, oh, and my gosh. Okay. And um, I went to work for Jerry, got excited about self-improvement, journaling, goal setting, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, that went on for about a year and a half. Timing in life is everything. Uh, that was back in the early 80s uh, when the prime rate crested 20 percent. Remember it well. <laughs> not, not a great time to be in the mortgage business. But in any event, uh, from there, went into doing my own um, speaking uh, on sales and then went to work for Miller Hyman. And uh, I was with them for about nine years, uh, worked with Bob Miller writing and rewriting each of the programs they had back then. And uh, Steve Hyman, you know, was, uh, they were both active in the business. Uh, I was like the son born of those two fathers. I think I was pure Miller Hyman than either Miller or Hyman. Wow. 
Wow. I <laughs> uh, did that for nine years, became president of Miller-Hyman uh, at one point. And then when Steve bought Bob out, it made sense for him to run his own company. And so I then became a, an associate. Went into my uh, own doing sales process mapping and then joined forces with Joe Vavrica. And we started- So a- that engineering- that engineering uh, training helped you a little bit with the process. I'm it guessing. absolutely did. And, uh, you know, it really informed the next step, which was starting Salesware, uh, which was a, a software company mm-hmm. doing what we called pipeline performance metrics. Now they call it analytics. <laughs> and so that company was acquired uh, the very end of the 90s, actually the very beginning of 2000. I think we closed that deal January 4th of 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were acquired by a company called uh, Goldmine and uh, worked for them for a couple of years, became president of the Goldmine. I was VP of North American sales for Goldmine mm-hmm. uh-huh. and then um, uh, became president of the Goldmine division and then went out on my own, then joined forces with Jim Dickey, who we had hired as an advisor to our software company, Salesware. And so Jim and I partnered up in 2002 or so and uh, started doing research with CSO Insights, Chief Sales Officer Insights. And uh, that company was acquired coincidentally by Miller Hyman Group in 2015. Mm-hmm. We had a couple of year earn out. Everybody did what they said they were gonna do. We met all our performance hurdles. And then in 2017, beginning of 2018, we started Sales Mastery. And okay. uh, that's where we are today. You've kept the, the research in some version. Uh, we did research. That's what CSO Insights was all about. And then yes. when we were required, um, we merged CSO Insights with the Miller-Hyman Research Institute. And um, I got to be chief research officer there for a couple of years. And then uh, when we spun out again, or when we were back out on our own, we were doing research in two specific areas because you know we, we didn't really want to compete and there was no need to do so. Yes. Um, we focused on AI for sales and oh, wow. sales as a profession. And so mm-hmm. that's where we focused for the next you know, five or six years. That's amazing. You know, I want to go back to your point about your peak, was it peak performance metrics, and, mm-hmm. and which is today called analytics. I think peak performance, or do I have that? Am I remembering that correctly? What, no, what we have three performance levels that we talk about. Your name for that analytics was far better than just the word analytics because it was very clear. Oh, we called it pipeline performance metrics. Pipeline performance <laughs> metrics. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I couldn't. I couldn't get no, that right, right. But it's so purposeful and so clear. To what end? You know, mm-hmm. as they say, versus just analytics sounds like you know it's just something. But it, anyway, just just an observation of part of your purposeful life here. We did some things then. Uh, that they still aren't doing, which I think is amiss. We not only, you know, did forecasts, but we looked at best case, worst case, and so on. Uh, most optimistic, most pessimistic, that sort of thing. And I think that there's still plenty of uh, room for improvement uh, in that area. And forecasting in general, you know, we say that forecast accuracy is an oxymoron. So. Yes. <laughs> yes. And remains yes. that way. Yes, for sure. Talk a little bit more about this study that you do and what some of the key, perhaps perennial or and or new insights coming out of it. 
Jim was doing research starting back in the early 90s um, and produced a report called, um, I think, toward the year 2000 or toward Y2K, if you remember that. Y2K. Yes, <laughs> yes. Back when. But when we teamed up in 2001, we were doing phone interviews. We actually were calling people and doing interviews. And if you got 100 or 150, I mean, that was really something. And if you do remember 2001, 2002, that's when the tech bubble was inflating mm -hmm. and everybody was going crazy and getting people to take the time, you know, to complete us, to answer survey questions by phone was remarkable. In 2004, it was the first time we did an online survey with SurveyMonkey mm -hmm. and it just took off. You know, we had like 400 responses and it was really terrific and we've been online ever since the thing that jim said when he started doing his research way back when was the marketing people there was research for marketing executives could talk to the you know ypo or uh, the scc the sales executive council but there was nobody doing research for sales chief sales officers he had no charts and so that's really what we were trying to provide. And, and our guiding light was Edwards Deming, who was the father of the quality movement. Sure. His great quote was, without data, you're just another person with an opinion. And you know, that's fine. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. But when it comes down to making decisions, having data yes. you know, is really helpful. And so uh, we started gathering data and, and have had several hundred responses every year to our survey, sometimes more. The things that I would say have not changed are forecast accuracy is still, you know, a joke. And I can say more about that in a minute. Process implementation has improved, but is still lagging. Coaching, very positive in our culture, but is not really formalized, is not rigorous. Mm -hmm. uh, and the room always gets quiet when we ask who's coaching the coach. So. Those are some things that have not changed. Uh, things that have changed, you know, certainly technology has evolved. Uh, user adoption remains, you know, a challenge. Um, I think there's been an unwarranted belief in or reliance upon technology. Um, Interesting. And I think the whole SDR, BDR model is, I, I just think it's nuts. I think it's upside down. You have your least experienced people doing the heaviest lifting mm -hmm. <laughs> and your most experienced people typically taking care of existing major accounts. You know, yeah. I just, I don't get it. I, you know, we yeah. have a couple of videos on that. And I think one of the things that has changed and I think has changed for the better, there used to be sort of this bright line pre-pipeline was marketing and once it was in the pipeline it was sales mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you know they were always kind of pointing the finger at each other you know sales saying to marketing the leads suck and marketing saying to sales no you suck <laughs> and um i think what what has happened is now you know with so much being done online a lot of times that's really managed by marketing mm -hmm. uh, and so there's more of a an illuminated rather than a bright line. I think there's an illuminated portion of the pipeline that marketing is still involved in. 
I think that's been a change. Certainly the biggest change, no question, uh, and maybe I should have mentioned this first, is the power shift from the seller to the buyer. Mm -hmm. You know, before the yes. internet, the guiding principle, one of the maxims was product knowledge is a salesperson's greatest weapon. Well, mm -hmm. guess what? Um, yeah. You know, buyers have all of that information before they ever talk to a seller now. And so I think the shift from the sellers having all the information, pricing and product availability and features and function and all of that and is now in the buyer's hands. And when we were doing process mapping in the 90s, it was, I guess, what I would call inside out. We would look at, you know, the sales process and are we, what is the buyer doing at each step uh, yes. along the way? Now it's more outside in. What is the buyer's journey? What is the buying process? And are we aligning our sales motions with that? Yeah. So that's yeah. a huge change. CEOs need help growing their companies, but don't always have the time or money to hire a full-time chief marketing officer, CMO, or chief sales officer, CSO, or both. Recruiting a quality, full-time executive can take months, not to mention the ongoing costs. In these challenging times, CEOs need battle-tested growth executives who can help companies successfully navigate the uncertain waters. Partner with chief outsider CMOs and CSOs who will function as strategic operators to build and execute your growth engines. And we're back with Deborah and Barry. Surprisingly, the metrics themselves have not changed remarkably. The highest I think we, we ever saw was 63%, 61 or 63% of reps meeting or beating quota and low 90s, maybe 92 or 93% of uh, mm -hmm. companies making plan on average that's across all yes uh, we can come back and talk about the three performance levels forecast accuracy typically is in the mid to, to high 40 percent and that's of deals that are forecast you yes know, yes i mean literally you could do the same thing flipping a coin mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable yeah so i think those are some of the things that have remained the same some of the things that have changed in reading your report, I remember seeing a a small but mighty graphic that really showed these, I don't remember it, if it was four or five or six different dimensions, and then those companies that got it right, so to speak, mm -hmm. versus those that didn't do it, and mm -hmm. significantly different uh, performances of the company. Can you speak right. to that a little bit? We're, we're talking to, you know, our listeners, you know, by and large are CEOs of companies. What mm -hmm. is it that you might share here that could really underline what needs to be done differently to change the trajectory of the curve up and to the right? Yes, no question. So the chart you're talking about is the, what we call the sales performance scorecard, uh, mm -hmm. which we first introduced in, uh, an HBR article that came out exactly a year ago. It was the November, December issue of 2022 Harvard mm -hmm. Business Review. But I'll, I'll go back in history a little bit. In the Starting in the early 90s, I was talking about levels of relationship, vendor, preferred supplier, solution consultant, strategic contributor, and ultimately trusted partner, trusted advisor. 
Jim wrote an article for Forbes in 2000 uh, on levels of sales process. He had four levels, ad hoc, informal, formal, and dynamic. Mm-hmm. What was interesting, <laughs> I said we teamed up in 2001. Mm-hmm. It only took us five more years to figure out we could put those together in a matrix. <laughs> <laughs> we finally we did that 2006 out. or seven, <laughs> and we had four levels of sales process on the horizontal axis and five levels of relationship on the vertical axis. And what we found was as you moved over and up in the matrix, things got better. One of the things we talked about, you know, before the podcast, uh, it's all self-reported data. And so uh, a a lot of these metrics that we're tracking, you know, conversion rates and, uh, sales cycle length and user adoption, all that stuff are really educated best guesses. And the good news is when you have several hundred, you know, that normalizes. So you, you do get, get at least directionally yes. correct. But yes. the, the metrics we use for the matrix are not uh, guesses. The metrics that we use are revenue plan attainment, mm-hmm. percentage of reps meeting or beating quota, outcome of forecast deals, one lost or no decision, and rep turnover, voluntary, involuntary turnover. Those are not guesses. Those are things people actually track and have data on. And uh, what we have seen over now eight, 17 years is the data completely supports higher levels of process implementation, higher levels of relationship, mm-hmm. higher levels of plan attainment, higher percentage of reps meeting beating quota, lower turnover and greater forecast accuracy. All of that is available in the report and in the summary, we can provide, you know, links, people can download those. We'll we'll include that in the write-up for this episode uh, because that's really important and insightful information. The the two things that have changed and what uh, came out, what we did with the sales performance scorecard is we added a fifth level of sales process Mm -hmm. uh, to reflect uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning in sales. Mm -hmm. So we now have um, ad hoc, informal, formal. We also renamed it to agile and then added a fifth uh, level of process customized. So those are now the five levels of process and the five levels of relationship. We redefined three of those. So it's now, transactional vendor as opposed to just approved vendor, preferred supplier, solution consultant, strategic collaborator, and trusted co-creator. And oh, I think wow. that those other labels really truly reflect this change in uh, dynamics uh, between yes. the buyer-seller uh, relationship and equation. Yeah, so that sounds really powerful. And I, you know, I can think of many examples of where the transaction and test me on this, you know, coach me here, but where the transaction may actually be, and and I'm going to go in a slightly different direction. The transaction may be, you actually got the engagement. You sold the deal. You got the engagement. You're working this, whatever this professional service is, is being provided. And and then suddenly they're a former client Mm -hmm. and now it becomes, okay, let's do an email outreach to former clients and say ABC. And then a little bit later, oh, let's do another 
email outreach or place a call and invite them to a webinar or event. And oh, let's use this, you know, tool to create another conversation. That to me is transactional. It, it is not part of a fully framed way to outreach and stay connected to the existing clients you have. So would you say that these things in the funnel also apply these insights and learnings in the sales more beginning uh, end of the sales cycle also would apply to staying in touch with and continuing to appreciate former clients i think staying in touch absolutely uh, is one dimension of the strength of a relationship that you know in um, the the level you know the volume of business you're doing uh, is another uh, dimension but it's not strictly just dollar volume um, you can be doing huge sums of business with people but if it's transactional rapid repetitive routine that's still transactional and yes. there are things we have a video on this levels of relationship there are things that increase as you move up through levels of relationship access mm -hmm repeat business, referrals. And when I say access, that also means within the account. Yes. Um, so cross-selling and upselling, penetrate, account penetration and so on are all reflections of the relationship. There are things yes. that go down as you move up in levels of relationship, things like price sensitivity, the important significance of features and functions of your product. Uh, the number of folks you compete with at the lowest level you compete with everybody at the highest level you may be helping them select other suppliers yes. and to me it's it's the whole essence of selling is establishing and elevating relationships over time yes. so that these things are working in everyone's favor yeah i think that that is a great comment and i can't help but wonder across the the span of companies and sales uh, person, and this is would be part of marketing and customer service and client ambassadors and so forth. But I think the other thing that's worth mentioning is, um, you know, talking about levels of relationship, but levels of process. Uh, the good news is you, and if I'm speaking to CEOs and sales leaders, the good news is you have control over that. You, you can't control the relationship. I mean, you show up, there are things you can do in terms of adding value, being consistent, not just doing these periodic technology outreaches, but actually showing up for a relationship. But it's still not everybody wants to partner. Not everybody wants to collaborate. They just want to have you show up, deliver the goods on time and within yes. budget and get lost. Okay. So yes. That's how we want it to be. But under, with respect to process, you have complete control over that. And the fact that companies continue, and, and I looked up the figures for, for Chief Outsiders market, 51 to 250 million, 9% were ad hoc, 36% were informal. So that's 45%, nearly half are at the lowest levels of process implementation. And another 24% at informal. So, yes. you know, two thirds of companies are barely enforcing or reinforcing, introducing sales process. Yes. And that's just a huge miss. I mean, and it's not an opinion. Right. That is 
absolutely supported by the data over thousands of companies and almost now two decades of gathering this data. I think anyone who's who's resisting that is not paying attention. <laughs> Just say, I don't think they're paying attention. And, you know, there, it seems like there's more than the opportunity lost by not doing the, the process that you suggest. There's also money being spent by marketing departments to drive leads into these sales processes that are deficient. So you could have either or both sides of a coin in, ineffective in a company. When you talk about the money being spent on both sides, you know, the yes. old line is the CEO saying, I know we're, we're wasting 50% of our marketing budget. I just don't know which 50%. Um, I've done a video on this as well. They're all on our, on our YouTube channel, by the way, but along perfect prospect profile. And, you know, if you look at any normal district, any population, you're going to have a normal distribution mm -hmm. and half of these people are favorably predisposed to working with you yes. and half of these people are not you know they they'd rather work with the competitors and yet we tend to treat them all the same and you know i i would say this half that doesn't really like you and loves your competitor that may be the 50 percent to look at that you know is not being well well spent i mean it's a yeah. place to start anyway for sure. Uh, I'm sure in your work, you know, the CMOs, the chief outsiders has uh, out there. Uh, I'm sure many of the companies, when they first start working with have not identified their, we call it perfect prospect profile. Um, Miller Hyman called, and, and the term that's been more, I think, universally adopted ICP, ideal customer profile. Yes. You either have that or you don't. And you've either looked at it in the last 18 months or you haven't. Yes. If you're not doing that, I mean, really, it's you're just throwing stuff against the wall. Then if you spend that money, let's say you even get that perfect, right? You're perfectly yeah. targeted. And then you send it into a sales process that is utterly deficient. So what are the two or three things that, a, that you suggest a CEO do really now to ensure that they can capture more business and build relationships more towards the top of that relationship matrix? Well, I, I think there are two things. Number one, I think one of the things, and, and I used to say this when I was doing the Miller-Hyman training, I think it was unfortunate labeling, uh, us calling it perfect prospect profile and back ideal people. When we would go through the exercise, people are saying, do you want ideal or do you want real? Oh. Oh. <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, this is like the Boy Scout oath, you know, kind, courteous, loyal, honest, you know, they're not perfect. Okay. We'll take, but what, what you want is some way of grading, of judging, not just the demographics, but the psychographics that are well suited to us. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as, as they, the, the old expression, birds of a feather, you know, flock together. Well, birds of a feather tend to do good business together and mm -hmm. tend to want to have relationships together. And if mm -hmm. you're not well suited, you know, you're really kind of shoveling against the tide here. And, and there's, you don't need to do that. You know, there's so much out there. Yes. If you really do begin to target and 
decide how, you know, we're going to spend the majority of our money with these folks and, and, you know, the, some more of our money with the secondary and the tertiary, you know, we'll, we'll try and warm them up with technology and, and lower cost outreach. Mm -hmm. Let's not treat them all the same. I mean, you know, it's, it doesn't make sense to me. So on the marketing side and, and on the sales side, you know, the golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I think a better interpretation is do unto others the way they want to be done unto. Yes. <laughs> so, this, <laughs> this is how I want to interact with you. This is what I want from you. And the whole notion of adding value and calling high again, there are videos on our YouTube channel for this, but what people want is tell me what I don't know or, or, or confirm what I think I do know. The Mark Twain quote we used for this year's study is it, it's not the things that you don't know that get you in trouble. It's the things you know for sure that are no longer true. Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. And, and I think that there are a lot of folks operating on certainty about things that, you know, are just have really changed going back I, to, you know, the question you asked earlier. I think that that is a huge point. And then perhaps the question to the audience, and maybe this is, this is a good end note for this episode, is it what is it that you know for certainty that may just not be so? And so can, can you give us that quote one more time, Barry, the Mark Twain quote? Sure. It, it's not the things you don't know that get you in trouble. It's the things you know for sure that are no longer true. I just think that that is a perfect bit of fear, doubt, and suspicion to leave our audience with uh, today. <laughs> and you have a lot of information. So thank you so much. I think your study is very powerful. The wisdom and the insights that you derive, not only from your study, but from your experience and your partner's experience and all this. And uh, I really appreciate your dad setting you off on an engineer foot that turned into <laughs> an, an extraordinary sales mastery. Well, it was a great education. Thank you for joining the podcast today. This episode is great, and I look forward to being more in touch in the future. Well, thanks for having me in. My pleasure. Be sure to subscribe in all your favorite podcast apps. Just look for Success Beneath the Surface. Chief Outsiders, part-time growth executives with full-time results.